So one of the most striking things about Mark's account of the resurrection is that the main character never makes an appearance. Here we are, not only at the climax of Mark's story, but at the climax of human history, and Jesus never takes the stage. The ending of Mark's gospel at verse 8 is kind of curious. And although our Bibles contain a few additional paragraphs, they were almost certainly added at a later date by another person. Mark's material, it's strangely cut off. Now, perhaps he meant to end it this way, or perhaps the original ending was somehow lost. Either way, it's striking that Jesus is absent at the most important moment. Now, I have to confess that I like the way that the text just seems to stop. All of, the un- all of the tension and uncertainty of that morning, it hangs in the air around us as we read about the women at the tomb. Mark creates that atmosphere by employing four different words to describe them. They are alarmed, trembling, astonished, and fearful. They're so overwhelmed that they run off in shocked silence. You know, we need this reminder of the awe and even terror of that morning. It's far too easy for us to domesticate the resurrection, to squeeze it in between fresh lilies, chocolate eggs, and family celebrations. We need the shock and confusion of that first Easter day to remind us why we're here this morning. At the heart of this tension-filled account of Easter morning, Mark focuses all of our attention on the young man in the tomb. This young man's clearly an angel, and though he offers the terrified women a word of comfort, his primary task is to convey a message, and that message contains the heart of the gospel. That's what I want for us to focus on for just a few minutes this morning. This is what he says. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, he begins. It's less of a question than a statement. In the days to come, when the women will be quizzed over every detail and doubts will arise over what they saw, they'll be able to say in no uncertain terms that they were in the tomb where their friend had been buried. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, the angel explains further. These women had been there on Friday afternoon. They'd seen his body put in the tomb. They were not expecting a miracle. They had come with heavy sacks of spice to anoint his broken body for the sole purpose of keeping away the stench of death. They'd been worrying about the stone and who would move it for them. They were concerned with the mundane and totally unprepared for the miraculous. In his first words to the women, the angel affirms that their friend and their teacher, Jesus, had died and he had been buried. Why does this matter? Well, it matters for two reasons. First, because on three separate occasions in Mark's gospel, Jesus had said that this would happen. Had he faked his death, he would have been a liar and everything he'd ever said would have been permanently cast into doubt. Second, it matters because when he spoke of his death, Jesus explained that he must be killed 
for the sake of our salvation. Jesus' death was a sacrifice. It was the only means by which our sin could be wiped clean and our guilt washed away. If Jesus hadn't died, we would still be stuck in sin and mired in our guilt. But in his death, he bore them both to the grave in order to leave them behind forever. Let's go back to the angel's words. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He has risen. The whole history of the world hinges on that phrase. Had Jesus only died, he would have been remembered as a peaceful revolutionary who exposed the brutality of Rome by dying for his convictions. And we would have remained stuck in our sin. But death was only part of Jesus' mission. He rose as well. And by rising from the dead, Jesus proved that he had power over humanity's greatest enemy, death itself. But that new life, it wasn't just for him. It's for us as well. Jesus rose from the dead as the firstborn of an entirely new creation so that all who are joined to him by faith might, might one day rise as well. When the angel said, he has risen, hope came thundering into the world. And the truth began to dawn on those women that their friend and their rabbi Jesus was precisely who they had hoped he was all along, the son of God himself. Is it any wonder that they were silenced with awe? But the angel's not finished. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Now the angel's statement is unnecessary. But it's important. Jesus is elsewhere rather than nowhere. In other words, he hasn't simply disappeared. So we wrestle with this idea of resurrection because we have no concrete experience of it to draw on. It's easy for us to slip into vague conceptions of non-material bodies or to think of resurrection life as some kind of ghost-like experience. But the fact that Jesus is elsewhere rather than nowhere is an affirmation that life after death is concrete and embodied. Jesus didn't simply evaporate into some kind of eternal mist. He stood up, he folded his grave clothes, set them down, and walked out of the tomb. And when he left the tomb, he went to Galilee. He went to Galilee in order to meet his disciples. And that's the final thing the angel explains. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Over dinner the night before he was killed, Jesus had explained to his disciples that he was going to be killed, but that he would rise on the third day from the dead and that then he would return to Galilee in order to meet them. He said this in Mark 14, 27. He, He said to his friends, you'll all fall away For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. The fact that the men are missing on Easter morning 
It's evidence of the truth of Jesus' words. They had scattered. They were shocked and terrified. And only the women had the guts to go to the tomb. So the angel gives the women a mission. Go and tell the men to meet Jesus in Galilee. Jesus' promise that he would go before the disciples and meet them once again, it's given to us as well. Now Jesus is no longer in Galilee, of course. 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven where he continues to reign at God's right hand. He's gone before us, not to Galilee, but into the heavenly realm in order to prepare an eternal home for us. And one day, he'll return. He'll return the same man with the same body and the same scars with which he rose to heaven and he will lead us into a new creation. The strange absence of Jesus in this final scene from Mark's gospel, well, now it begins to make a little sense. It's part of the plan. He's not here. He's gone before us and is leading the way from death to eternal life. In just a few minutes, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And in the middle of our prayer over that meal, we'll declare together the mystery of our faith. We'll say, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Those are the life-changing truths that the angel proclaimed to the women that day in the tomb. And those are the truths that we cling to today. Jesus died for our sins and he buried them in the grave. He then rose to new life as the firstborn of a new creation that he invites us to share by putting our trust in his love. And one day, one day he will return and he will lead us into that new life with him. There's one more detail. There's a name mentioned and it's the only name mentioned other than Jesus's. The angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. You may be here this morning wondering if this message of hope is for you. You may be hearing it for the very first time or you may be hearing it for the 40th time, uncertain to make uh, what to make of the meaning of this day. You may be weighed down by regret over something you've done or consumed by anger at a personal betrayal. You may be mourning the loss of someone you love. Any number of things might be keeping you from the hope of Easter and the person of Jesus. Well, Peter's name is here for you. Peter's name is written here for everyone who feels distant from God and uncertain about hope. You see, Peter had denied Jesus three times on the morning that he was killed. After all that Jesus had done for him, at the crucial moment, Peter turned his back and he walked away and he left his friend to die alone. Now, Jesus wants Peter to know that he's coming for him. Not to condemn him, but to restore him. It's why he's mentioned by name. He needed to hear it. So the message of Easter morning, it's not just for a few astonished women, 
or even the scattered disciples. The message of Easter, it's for those who've turned their backs and walked away. Jesus goes before us. He goes before all of us as the one who forgives our sins, mends our brokenness, and restores our hope. He died and he rose for Peter. And he died and he rose for each and every one of us. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise that simply by putting our trust in you and receiving the gift of salvation, we have hope and bodily resurrection from the dead and eternal life with you. We stand in awe, shocked, shocked into silence by this gift. And we praise you for it. Amen.